Hey there, it's Mike Tramp, and you're listening to White Lion Fever, where rock and roll is still alive like it always has been and it always will be. Welcome to White Line Fever. Would you believe we've got to episode 50? And if you get to uh, 50 episodes, you want it to be a, a special one. And we're talking about the grand final 2013. First team into it is Manly with an astounding performance. They come back from 14 0 down to win 30 20 over South Sydney at uh, ANZ Stadium. And I've got Tom Timons here. Tom, um, I mean, two of the most brutal games you'd ever want to see. Down 14 0 in a preliminary final. <laughs> You've been bashed from pillar to post as a team, and you score 30 unanswered points. How does that happen? Oh, it's, it's, it's really unbelievable, isn't it, I suppose? Um, you know, a lot of people have sort of written us off about, um, you know, how fresh we're going to be or if we're going to be tired coming into the game. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't think we really sort of had too much focus on. We had a really good week. Um, Freshened right up. We didn't we didn't uh, go overboard with our training. We just uh, focused on what we had to do in terms of our um, you know, ball work and, and getting our recovery done. So um, going into the match, we probably felt better this week than we did um, you know, perhaps going into the Sharkies game. I was talking to Brent Lawrence out on the field on the ABC, and I said, well, you know, you've seen Manly do this as an outsider over the years, and now you've experienced it. Can you explain it to the rest of us? Uh, how, how would you explain it? <laughs> I suppose looking from the outside, I'd, I'd admired um, you know, some of the things that some of these more experienced guys have been able to do over a long period of time and just be so successful. Um, you know, I've always uh, probably appreciated the way that Manly play. Uh, you know, they throw it around and you know play more of a football style of game rather than um, something more, um, I guess, measured or. Um, yeah. Against Melbourne at Brookvale, it seemed to go to another level to me as a, as a you know just an observer. As, did you notice sort of it step up a little bit that night? Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, those older boys. Um, that this is their time that they like to play footy, and you know, getting through the um, you know, we were putting in a lot of effort, and um, you know, our defence really sort of kept us in a lot of games, and our attack wasn't quite clicking, but um, you know, that's improved in the last um, you know, sort of the back end of the season, and like you said, that, that game against Melbourne um, was probably where our, our attitude and mentality really sort of you know, up the ante and said, you know, come on, let's get going, but you know, six more games or whatever it was, and you know, let's really put in. Was that, did that just happen coincidentally, or did you was it just spoken about? I suppose, um, like I said, you, you turn up every week um, trying to put in your best foot, but um, to know that you've got a maximum of six weeks left, um, you've got big games coming up. Those old, older boys going, you know, come on, let's really get stuck in here. Um, you know, everyone just jumps on board, and once um, once you get it going, it's um, you know, it's really momentum. The combination that night of the physicality and still the flair and attack, it's a rare combination. I suppose a lot of players spend most of their career looking to find that balance, don't they? But uh, speaking of careers, grand finals and yourself, have you got a good... A good history with grand finals or a bad history? Something in between? Um, mate, I'm trying to remember the last time I was in a grand final, so that probably tells you a bit about my history of grand finals. Um, I lost one when I was about nine years old, and um, that's about it, really. Well, have a great week. They tell me it's the greatest week of your life, so I hope you find it that way. Yeah, I've heard that as well, so I'm looking forward to it.
Hello everybody, this is Ron Bumblefoot Thaw. You might know me from Guns N' Roses or not. And you're listening, <laughs> you're listening to White Line Fever. Okay, welcome back uh, to the program and it's the final part of our chat with Lucy DeSoto. I've got a theory I wanted to put to you that actually Rose Tattoo are responsible for the entire tattooing boom in the modern world because all those Hollywood bands copied Rose Tattoo. If you read Tommy Lee's biography, he said that... Um, no one had tattoos when we started out, only some Australian called Angry Anderson. And it was from there that everyone started getting tattoos again, from the Hollywood hair metal scene. And, and now every person in the street has got a tattoo. I think it's all down to Rose Tattoo. Do you agree with me? Yes, I do. And I can tell you this story. When um, the tats were kind of enjoying incredible success in Europe in about 1981, their management company could see the dollar signs and pulled them out of there and took them to America. And when they got to America after they you know, this deal had been done over the phone to do a tour there, to tour there, um, when they arrived in America the crew included a tattoo a, a, a makeup artist that was hired specifically to paint the tattoos on because they did not know they it never occurred to them that it was that the tattoos were real. I have heard that story before. It's a true story. So when the Americans found out that the tattoos were real, they were really put off. It was quite threatening. And um, in all their kind of um, in all their venues, all their performances, people were a little bit taken aback. Americans were very conservative and still are in, in a lot of ways but yeah back then it was a little bit threatening yeah. and um, I know that Slash and Axel Rose both saw Rose Tattoo when they were underage they were like 15 16 years old somewhere maybe Seattle somewhere yeah. um, and uh, they both, when they came out in 1993, um, they were both, you know... Peter said it was embarrassing because uh, after the show in the hotel room, um, Slash came in and knelt <laughs> and asked him for his pick. And they, you know, got chatting and it was about, man, you changed my life, you, you know, everything you did is the reason why we are what we are and at that stage they were you know world beaters yeah. and at one point Pete was even linked to replacing Slash wasn't he in the band well <laughs> he wasn't going to replace Slash um, but he was invited to play with the band mm-hmm. and I think it was his health that mm. was the only reason that didn't happen mm. Yeah. Mm. so tell us that, that leads us to you're writing a book and it's about your memories what is the state of playing now? I mean, have things been worse than they are now, or is this as bad as bad as things have got for, for live music? Oh, okay. In terms yeah. of live music, well, like uh, a lot of things, I think it goes in cycles, but we are on the sort of downside of the wheel at the moment. Um, there's a kind of very punishing culture. Um, happening in Sydney where you can't really have much freedom of movement without copying a fine or, you know, somehow breaking some regulation or, you know, the whole kind of... It's fascist. Well, yeah, the whole kind of casual, unofficial culture that Australians used to enjoy, that we were sort of known for and that we prided ourselves on, has been legislated out of existence. Mm. And, and, and if it hasn't been legislated, then it's been made so expensive that it's just out of the reach of, of most people. Mm. So, for example, I don't know what the cost of the tickets are, but I did hear interviews on the radio recently about the price of tickets to the grand final. Mm. And the reasoning is that, you know, if people really want to be there, then they'll, they'll afford it. Mm. But I, I think that's kind of part of this really blinkered, short-sighted attitude that 
there isn't a gap between that the gap between the rich and the poor isn't you know mm. really serious, but it mm. is. It's so fucking serious. People are committing crimes mm. because they just can't afford to live in this town anymore. Mm. So um, I think that affects live music to the extent that music is there to kind of make you feel good, make you feel happy, make you forget your problems. Um, to kind of bring people together in a kind of, you know, casual way. And none of those things are really permissible anymore. Mm. It's almost illegal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty pretty dire. Mm. So what about the, um, the fall of sort of rock and roll from the mainstream? It's been gone for longer than I can... Maybe it's ever been gone since the 50s, really. Like, you know, this sort of candy pop and stuff. How, how does that affect you trying to sort of earn a living when um, what used to be it's totally underground now rock and roll isn't it I mean I mean compared to how do you get the message out to people that you're playing a show or you're releasing a CD how hard is it you know well yeah um, it's pretty hard and I think the festival circuit is about our only kind of um, you know respite from from, from this sort of censorship, mainstream mm-hmm. censorship. Um, you don't get played on radio, you don't get played on television, so, you know, my kind of <laughs> outlets are Facebook and my webpage and that sort of online stuff, but YouTube, you know, but um, mm. there's so much material there. It's, it's impossible for people to really find... Um, you know, if, if they know what they're looking for, <laughs> even mm. if they know what they're looking for. So, um, I think the the whole culture of rock and roll is really something that's passing into history. I think it it was the the art form of the musical art form of the twentieth century, and it's being. Um, it's morphing into something else. Mm. And, you know, judging by the kind of music that that's being played, um, I don't think it's got anything... I don't think that mainstream kind of computerised music has much to do with uh, what's actually happening underneath in the street, in the, in the sort of you know, basements and back rooms where people are getting together, I think it's much more rootsy and folksy than the sort of stuff that they're playing on the radio. And eventually, you know, just by sort of force of, you know, numbers, um, acoustic kind of, acoustic electric music will come back and people will... But I don't think it'll ever be in the same way in pubs and and that sort of thing, because pubs have become you know, little bloody creches, mm. you know, you've got to, you're being policed by about every decision you make and every conversation you make, every comment you make, mm. you know, is, is being censored, I just, it's just horrendous, talk about the nanny state. Mm. If you can get into the pub, if they don't like the look of you, they won't even let you through the front door. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's a weird time mm. in history, but... No, it'll come around. But, uh, yeah, live playing a lot of instruments is, is, is kind of yeah, a fairly strange, old, archaic kind of. Do you, do you use a lot of sort of modern electronic assistance when you're doing stuff when you you know doing stuff at home when you're recording stuff? No, hmm. um, the recordings, for example, on the Bits of CD, um, they're all done sort of pretty much live the only sort of double take that we did was um, maybe some of the guitar solos and the, and the, the vocals um, but the rhythm section and, and you know the rhythm guitars and the keyboards and everything just go down live so you get a sense of it you know it rocks because it's it's got that live feeling thanks for joining us Lucy it's been awesome some wonderful recollections and some good uh uh, assessment of modern society. Very. Good. I agree. I agree with you. I, I couldn't have put it better though. Um, so um, we've got one more song. What would you like to play? I'd like you to hear a version of um, a song by Ian Ryland called 401. I'm in love with my automobile. 
It's Brett from Fire Up and Steve Mascord needs to stop listening to bad 80s hair metal and play some punk rock for a change. We're back. We had Tom Simons um, as the first segment of the program and now we've got Nick Tedeschi and we're talking grand final but we're actually going to look back first. We're going to look back at uh, the uh, preliminary finals. Manly 30, South Sydney 20. Um, Nick, um, it just to me it defied explanation that a team that had been through such... Uh, um, such brutal football the previous fortnight can just score now there weren't unanswered points there were the 30 unanswered 30 points. uninterrupted points the 30th point was answered by a try it was answered by a meaningless <laughs> try a pointless try but it was answered correct look uh, that was one of the worst choke dogs I've seen since Parramatta in the 98 prelim it was uh, how, how, the, how a team who's up 14 nothing with the talent that the Bunnies have go down to uh, to Manly who had played great football team no question but they play a couple of pretty hard games. We were out on their feet the week before. Strolled against the 4 0 Classic. Took you back to 92, no doubt. Uh, uh, I, I thought it was. Uh, they, In hindsight, getting into a 14 lead was probably the worst thing that happened to the, the, uh, the Rabbitohs. They got to, uh, a bit too cocky, a bit too confident. They shut up shop and didn't play football. And experienced all that man with all their talent come back. And when Matt Ballon scores a 
uh, a, a try untouched, you know you're in trouble. Yeah, the, um, the, the, the worst thing about it was that um, at 14 nil, I thought they, they were, they were travelling so well. But, and we talked about this off air a short time ago. Um, uh, I thought that 28-8, round 25, Manly over Melbourne, round 25... Um, to me, the sort of football they played that night was incredible in that they still maintained that power in defence and attack, that brutality, but they also just had this finesse. Um, and it's not something I've seen for... I'm not going to say ever. I mean, the game keeps evolving every year, but I just thought what Manly did that night against Melbourne was something I hadn't seen before. And I think if they can do it again on Sunday, they win. And we're, not going to, we're going to do the, talk about the actual game this Sunday in the next segment. So, But anyway, Manly, pretty incredible. Look... I don't think there's any team in the comp with better touch than Manly. Well, Pickett and Brett Stewart's playing. Uh, but, well, Manly deserve plenty of credit for being able to come back from that. For mine, it was... it was South felt the, the pressure of 42 years of history uh, and it really told there. And uh, You know, that's a big hurdle to overcome kind of in the coming years and that's something that Michael Maguire is really going to have to, to work on. There. I know you can put through as many boot camps and as many mental challenges as you want, but... He's got to find find some kind of magic to uh, to get over the history. Otherwise, South aren't going to advance to that elusive grand final. Sydney Roosters forty, Newcastle fourteen on Saturday night, and really the air sort of uh, escaped from this game when Danny Badiris uh, went off. I can't believe people are saying Jared Warrior Hargreaves should have been suspended or whatever. I mean, like it was just an accident. <laughs> what utter garbage! He should have been suspended. It was that was rugby league. I'm sure Danny Badiris would be the first person to say that. Uh, that Jared Weirah Hargrave shouldn't be suspended even with his record. It was, uh, it was incidental contact. A legend went down. It was sad to see him cut it off. It was a turning point of a game, but that's rugby league. Yeah, and uh, the Roosters, uh, I mean, I suppose after what happened the night before, it was almost reassuring to see something go according to form, really. I mean, that was... We expected the Roosters to be too good for Newcastle, didn't we? Uh, we did. I thought it would be a lot closer than it was, but I think that... Uh, uh, the the force went out of the Knights when Badiris left. He's a, obviously a wonderful leader. But, you know, you, you saw... When the Roosters get on a roll, a few teams can put you to uh, put you to bed like they can. So, uh, I thought Jake Friend was magnificent. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the comp. Uh, he was sensational. And, and Mitchell Pearce probably played his best game in a long time. Yeah, that, that's 100% correct. And um, anyway, we're, we're going to hold off talking about the, the 2013 NRL Grand Final Tour when you hear from us at the end of the program. But uh, in the meantime, the two um, preliminary finals in the UK, very interesting in that in the UK you can choose your opponents in the second um, uh, last week of the uh, finals. And Warrington chose Huddersfield, and they won 30-22, but really they were all over them. Warrington just uh, too powerful. Um, you know, the, uh, Michael Monaghan uh, coming off the bench is, is lethal for, for Warrington. Uh, Wigan 22, Leeds 12, and Leeds have been, let's face it, uh, Leeds um, have left a great legacy in recent years. They've come good right at the end of the season. They've played in the World Cup Challenge the last two years. They've been a great team, Leeds, really, and and their their little reign is over, but um, it's been a great effort from from Leeds. Absolutely, they're a wonderful side, uh, led by, uh, of course, Kevin Sinfield, but uh, under the... your thoughts on being able to choose your opponent? I know Tony Smith wasn't a fan of it at all, and I believe didn't show up to the, the announcement. Is that yeah? Apparently, the fine Christopher Irvine um, tweeted that he got fined a thousand pounds for not showing up. But uh, I think it's fascinating the coaches at this time of year, when we think as outsiders that players have got no shortage of motivation, yet coaches are still anxious uh, not to give their opponents any extra motivation. By and you know, let's face it, I mean the board decided that whoever won the previous week's game would be fair dinkum. I mean, the coach obviously has an input, but he's just trying to keep it at arm's length um, because it's not because it gives the opposition a leg up. And that probably shows, you know, for all the tactics and everything that we, you know, um, uh, analytical aspect of rugby league, um, it's still so mental. It's such a... So mental. It's so mental. Um, it's such a mental game that a coach is actually not... Is willing to give up the opportunity to choose his next opponents, which most of, would consider, most of us would consider a, a great luxury, just not to give the opposition motivation. Yeah, 100%. It's uh, a fascinating way to do it. It's quite unbelievable that this is the week they do it in the, in the preliminary finals. Yeah, the, yeah. 
I, you, you imagine last week, Wayne Bennett, Trent Robinson, Michael Maguire, and... Uh, and well, I think Trent Robinson would have chosen his former club, Newcastle, and he would have been proven correct. Yeah, I, th- I think you're 100% right. I think that's absolutely how it would have worked out. So, uh, uh, it would have been proven right, but it's... it's yeah, yeah. I would have applauded the RFL for trying something different. Yeah, it, and as I said, it just gives you a great insight into the psychology of coaches, uh, regardless of what side of the world or what sport even. Um, anyway... Here's some music, new music from Joan Jett. Welcome back to the uh, grand final edition, the 50th edition of White Line Fever. And we've got a fella here who should have been on the first one because uh, no one kind of fits the demographic more than Eric Grafe. How are you, Eric? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on this wonderful podcast. <laughs> so um, what's, what's Shinobi up to at the moment? Mate, we're um, actually getting ready to... gearing up to go up to South East Queensland for a festival up there. I think Angry Anderson's headlining it and we're playing just before him, so um, he got a, got good coin for that one, actually. It's about time. <laughs> Do you know Angry? You met him before? I have met him before. He was at a para-training session one day for some reason. He was doing some some promotional thing there, so I had a little chat with him. I didn't realise... Um, how small he was. If he's listening to this, I apologise. <laughs> we actually had Lucy DeSoto, who worked with Pete Wells. On she's on this program, actually. So oh, there you nice. go. Yeah. 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 Um, now, um, um, because this is the first of three five-minute chats, we'll start with footy. Eh? Yep. Uh, grand final. 
you're an ex-rooster, so that's where your heart would be, I guess. Mates, yeah, it'd be good to see them win. Obviously, you know, some great people involved with that club, and um, you know, they're all working hard for that goal, and so is Manly. I have to actually tip Manly because, as buggered and as uh, you know, stuffed as they look, I just think they always seem to just find a way, and that's what I love about them. They're so tenacious, and and just the, I think I think the best half pairing in the comp. Yeah, it was that game against Melbourne with a one by twenty points. That was incredible, like because they just managed to combine finesse with power and brute strength, and it's a rare balance. You don't see it that often. I suppose the teams want to achieve yeah. that, but it's it's very rare. Yeah, well, I, I was watching them play South, Manly play South the other week, and everyone was writing off uh, South, uh, writing off Manly and going for South. I thought, geez, I don't know. It's, it's they're not a type of team you can write off at this time of year. They just look so comfortable at being buggered. I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess it's just um, they've been there so many times before. They know what to expect. They're not never overawed by a situation. So I actually put a bit of cash on them. They'll pay in three bucks. So I'm happy days. And you're allowed to do that now. Um, what uh, what's happening with? Um um, can you tell us a little bit about what you think of the footy this year? Like, there seems to be mixed reviews from fans as to whether they've enjoyed it or not. What, what do you think? Well, if you take away all the controversy, I actually think that this year, since retiring, this has been my favourite year to watch football. I honestly think that it's absolutely anyone's comp. Like, three weeks ago, or when the, when the final started, mate, every team I was looking at, you could put a solid case forward for them winning the comp, and no one would think you're crazy. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe a few years ago, maybe so, but... I honestly believe that this is the most exciting year due to the fact that you just can't pick it. Mm-hmm. And where will you, what will you be doing on grand final day? Will you be uh, watching at home? Or? Uh, no, I'll be at the game. I've got two promos to do, one with Triple M and one with the NRL. So, yeah, pretty busy day for me. Actually, and the, the day before is even busy. I've got, um, there's a kangaroo reunion. Somehow I, I'm allowed to go to them because I've got to play one test against France. Like I was there. Yeah, yeah, you were. Um, and then after that, we've got, uh, I've got an NRL function and then a retired players function after that. So, so, so like, even though you don't work full-time in footy anymore, how much of your time does it take up? How, how involved are you still? Mate, I had nothing to do with it for the last three years until this year. Uh, sorry, the first two, two and a half years of retiring. Until this year, I've, um, I've started doing a lot of stuff for NRL. Like, I've done some corporate stuff at the games, in the recent games, over the last few weeks. And, but I love it. It's good now. It's funny when you step away from the game, you kind of want to be involved more. It's great. Yeah, yeah. And, and how, how is, do you think it's the, um, the, the lot of players has changed much since you retired? Do you think the routine or the pressures or the... Is it improved? Uh, obviously, the money... Is going up a little bit um, each year. What do you think? Yeah, mate. I think you know. I was always someone who'd stick up for um, the players when when I was never on the massive coin when I was playing. But the guys that were and people would say, "Oh, you're overpaid." But I was the first to jump up because I do the training, the same training as them, and 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 live that lifestyle. It's just it's the toughest team sport on the planet, in my opinion. So I don't think they're overpaid when you when you compare it, obviously, to you know maybe cricket players and whatnot. As far as physicality goes, it's the toughest team sport in the comp, so, mate, yeah, no, I reckon it's going great. And, um, okay, we'll, 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 uh, we'll go with a song, first song, first of three, uh, it can be one of uh, Shinobi's, or it can be anything, absolutely anything that I can find on MP3 somewhere. <laughs> Alright, no worries, that's a good idea, I'll, we'll start with a Shinobi one, and then I'll put some uh, other stuff on later. Uh, this song is called uh, Against the Brave, Actually, you know what? I'm going to play a heavier one. Leeches. This is Leeches. This is our heaviest track on our debut album, Against the Brave. So this song's called Leeches by Shinobi. And what's the, what's the background of the song? What's the lyrical uh, theme? What, what, how'd you come up with it? Yep, lyrically... Actually, it's funny how we come up with it. We, we needed another song, and I just had this real chunky kind of fat, slow, heavy riff. And I, I thought it might have been too heavy for our album, but I showed the boys, and they were all salivating because they love the heavy stuff. So we chucked it on there. And what it's about is Leeches. It's about basically naysayers and... Um, you know, pessimists and, and negative kind of people, you know, kind of, it's the Australian attitude sometimes, that tall poppy syndrome, blocking you what you want to do, you know, first they're the first to cut you down when you say you're going to do something, but it's pretty much about them. Come all the leeches from the ground 
And it's the second last segment. We just had Eric go. I'd like to thank Eric for uh, coming on. And the last song was uh, a Shinobi song, I think. A Shinobi song. Anyway, um, but we're previewing the grand final, and you've got your host from the entire year. Uh, we've probably done one episode every. We probably average an episode every five weeks. But anyway, um, now the rugby league is over. You'll get one every week. So that'll make you wish that the rugby league had never finished. Um, but um, what are your thoughts on the grand final in the NRL? Sydney Roosters and Manly Seagulls, Nick Tedeschi. Well, yeah, this is the grand final nobody wanted if you're a neutral fan. It's, um, that'd be the chip you dropped into your beer, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, It'd be, yeah, for a neutral, it's the grand final nobody wanted. But yeah, after the classic a few weeks ago, it's a pretty exciting game, Manly and the Roosters. It'll be, it'll be a defensive struggle. Uh, Top two defensive sides, teams give away the two most penalties. It's, uh, I don't expect there to be much uh, much action at wide, but I think it'll be a tough, hard physical game. And I actually like Manly. I think the experience will get them over the line. Um, it's interesting, we were talking earlier, um, a, a popular topic between takes when we're in the pub is how old I am. And, uh, and uh, the last grand final I didn't go to, I think, was uh, very low scoring. It's about 85, might have won the... Might have had one uh, um, try uh, um, and uh, two two tries. 85, 7 6. 7 6. Andrew Farrakhit, the winning field goal. There you go. Um, and this could be like that, couldn't it? Oh, absolutely. Look, when you've got a 4 0 uh, 4 0 pre- uh, opening round of the finals, well, I don't, I don't, really, I don't really see where points are going to come from in this one. So uh, I think Manly would be better with Brett Stewart back on the side. I think that's why they might get a fierce. But well, last year the final score was 14 4. And I'll be very surprised if this, this game passed 20 points as well. Now, we're going to have uh, Sean Kenny Dowell after the break, and then that'll be the end of the program, and that'll be the end of um, our uh, contribution to the rugby league season this year. But there'll be, there's plenty of rugby league coming up. Starting with next week, I'm going to Vanuatu. Vanuatu playing the New Islands. I have a question for you, Stephen. Yeah. What are you more excited about? Manly, Roosters, and are all going to final? Or Vanuatu versus the New Islands? You know, I'm excited about getting on that plane. <laughs> uh, you know, because I've, um, I've, I've lost my Qantas Platinum status. So um, I'm, I'm going to, uh, next Wednesday night, I'm going to go out to the Qantas, the, Qantas, the Qantas Platinum Lounge. And I'm going to make the most of my last, uh, <laughs> my last night there. I might drink some champagne. Why have you lost your status? It's, uh... Because, I mean, uh, because, uh, you know, I, I conduct a business 
uh, that relies on rugby league for an income, and that means I have to go for the cheapest. Uh, so, so I've been on, I've been on Jetstar, I've been on Virgin, blah blah blah. Oh, I must, I'm far more, far infinitely more excited about the opening um, game of the double header for the World Cup than I am about the the, the grand final. Um, and it, it's just a function of the fact that I've been to a lot of grand finals between two Sydney teams at Homebush. Whereas I haven't been to a lot of double headers. Actually, how many have there been? You're the big stats whiz. They probably have. Uh, most of the grand finals since we moved out to Homebush have involved at least one out of town team. Yeah, nearly all of them. I think uh, 2010's George Roosters, uh, 04 Dogs Roosters, 03 Panthers Roosters. But uh, uh, and and the Roosters, yeah, the Roosters last one. Well, as you know, St George Illawarra are only half a Sydney team. Mm-hmm. Very annoying to me. True, when they say, true. oh, we've got too many teams in Sydney, you know, they're talking about the, uh, let's move Cronulla. We've got nine teams in Sydney. No, we have eight and a half teams in Sydney. I've got a way to solve this, Stephen. Why don't we call them the Illawarra Dragons and then we can now uh, all move on from uh, uh, from this. Play, call them the Illawarra Dragons and play, uh, play the majority games. You know what's wonderful is that we're watching uh, now on the big screen um, David Fordham interviewing Mark Geyer after a grand final. And... Uh, uh, I am going to be lucky enough. I'm doing uh, pre-match and post-match interviews on Sunday uh, for Triple M, and um, and for me, I'm 44 years old. I've been doing this since I was 18. It's pretty cool, actually, to be to be involved in grand final, and you know that way. You know, after having grown up watching, uh, um, you know, stuff like that. You know? Well, what what is you've, you've been to all these grand finals? What is give us one story? What is your, what is one grand final moment behind the scenes that you've enjoyed? That uh, sorry, I'll tell you what it is. Actually, is a, I'll tell you, and we haven't uh, teed this up beforehand, and it's not just staged. But um, the the Brian Smith doctored tip sheet in 1992. Um, I actually wrote that story because I went into the Broncos' rooms afterwards, and they all went. Brian Smith thinks he's a genius, and he thinks he's a, he's a, he's a, the greatest coach ever, and uh, we beat them. Blah blah blah. And subsequently found out that uh, that's because Brian Smith got a Broncos tip sheet um, and, and and doctored it and changed it and, uh, and and they are the great stories and I think rugby league teams in big games and it may be the case in other sports as well they've always got a story they've always got like a, a rallying call they've always got some bullshit <laughs> call to arms that is based on no reality um, and and, um, and that's the great thing about being Involved in on the big days as in me as a media person is that it becomes quite visceral. So it's not like it is from the stands because emotions run so high and, and all the pretense drops away and you actually get involved in something that's very visceral. It's a, it's it's a, I'm, I'm I'm getting very wistful now. Well, I don't. What's what's the biggest devastation you've seen? You've seen all these ground finals. What's the biggest joy and the biggest devastation that you've? Yeah, I'm not really sure about that. Oh, no, I can't say. I can't say. Um. I remember walking out in the middle of... Uh, it's like we're on the Media... What is it? The Media Weekly Podcast. I, they made me do this this week. But um, I remember walking out in the middle of uh, the Sydney Football Stadium in 1997 after Newcastle won the comp. Uh, they let the print media on the field one, at full one time. One half the comp. One half the comp. Yeah. And, and, and having Matthew Johns, like, just... Not just hug you, but, like, lift both legs off the ground and wrap them around your waist. And it was... Uh, um, and you know, um, like I said, um, those guys have these short careers and they have these enormous uh, emotional highs. And in, in our um, um, sphere, we get to hang around for 40 or 50, not 50 years, but maybe, you know, Tom Goodman, 30, 40, 30, 40, 50 years and be part of some really special moments. Anyway, let's not go into what's happened uh, involving me in the last. Uh, Week or so. Let's get. Let's ask you, Nick Tedeschi, who is going to win between Warrington and Wigan at Old Trafford on Saturday night. I like Warrington, and I am hoping for a Lee Breers field goal to be the decisive. Point. You love Lee Breers. I love Lee Breers more than. I'm hoping to hear all of Old Trafford bark like a dog when, when the winning try is scored by Joel Monaghan. It'll be a great moment for the wire if that is the case. First premiership in what fifty-eight years, people barking like a dog. People will look back in fifty years' time and go, "What was this about?" Nick, um, I don't think we're going to do another one of these this year, so I want to thank you for giving up your time. 
It's a pleasure as always. It uh, involves plenty of beer, plenty of chips, and plenty of yarns. And he said chips, not chicks. And uh, <laughs> and as a reward for all that, you get to request. Uh, now, the la- last time I let you request a song, we're in Melbourne. We're at a pu- suburban pub. It was uh, episode one or two. This is episode fifty. We got to fifty. What song? And how many podcasts have I been on since then? <laughs> a lot. Any song? No, no. Give us a song. Any song? No, I'm asking. I can... Any song? Rocky Top by the Osborne Brothers. This is one for your listeners. Rocky Top by the Osborne Brothers. Awesome. And we'll see you next year. Nick. <laughs> see you next year. Sir. This is Eric Growth Jr. and you're listening to White Line Fever. Get some rock and roll up ya. So we have two grand finals. Manly and the Sydney Roosters are 40 to 14 over Newcastle. Uh, but geez, they, they came back at you, didn't they? Uh, at the end, at least they showed a lot of pride in Newcastle. Yeah, they did. You know, I was obviously... With Sean Kenny Dow, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it was obviously, um, you know, we're very ecstatic to make the grand final. But, you know, we're playing in the grand final and, and that won't be accepted. And, you know, um, we have to play for the full 80 minutes. And, um, you know, Robbo definitely wasn't happy that we let a couple of easy tries there in the back end of the half. And, um, you know, we definitely can't do that next week. You've been at the club for a while now, uh, probably longer than most of the fellas around here, um, and the middle of this year you were playing with painkillers, things weren't looking so good for you, you're obviously very pleased that you stuck around and, and, and stuck at it. Yeah, no, that's it, you know, I just controlled what I could control, and um, you know, I put my head down and my ass up and worked as hard as I could, and um, you know, I just did my bit in the, in the team, and you know, we've got a great bunch of boys around here, and everyone's, you know, on the same page and, and working really hard, and you know, we're in a grand final next week, so um, just have to prepare well and do as best we can. Now, now that you're in the grand final, can you say if you ever you did actually come close to, to going elsewhere this season? Nah, 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 nah. mate. Um, you know that that was my main focus. I was contracted mm. to the Roosters, and um, you know I'm, I'm I'm happy. I'm a happy Rooster, and, and yeah, that's all I all I put my focus in, and and it's just to work hard, you know, to get back on the right track. And, and that's what I do. What was it like watching uh, Manly South uh, South Sydney on uh, on Friday night? Yeah, it was. Um, it was very nerve-wracking. You know, I got got really excited um, to what was ahead, what was coming ahead today, and um, you know, it, it was awesome to see. And, and Manly, they're a quality team, so um, you know, it was it was great to watch them and 
they did a, they did a good job, and they're going to be a tough tough opponent next week. We're in a room full of players doing interviews, and I'm sure everyone's getting asked about the lead up to the game and then the distractions. And what impact did it have? Um, you know, having having been there once, and, and that was my first time. Obviously, you know, this time round's definitely going to be different. You know, um, you, we can't get distracted, and you still have to prepare. You know, as best you can. So, um, having gone through that you know, in 2010, you know. Um, uh, I'll definitely be, be doing a lot differently. I think we're, we were just happy to make the grand final in 2010, and, and we, we forgot. You know, the focus got taken away from from the actual game, but this time I think we'll definitely be a lot different. The coach Trent Robinson said in the press conference he thought the younger fellows don't worry about headlines, and you know the ones I'm talking about. Whereas the older fellows tend to stress a bit more. So is that the case in the in the in the lead up to this game that the younger fellows kind of said, let's just get on with playing football? Yeah, I think so, and that that'll be important for us throughout the week. You know that all our focus is, is on our preparation and, and the areas that we need to improve on, and our preparation towards Manly, and then that's that's the key. You know, um, we have to look aside from the hype of the game and um, you know play it as, an, as another week and prepare as best we can. Finally Sean when you play in a grand final you often think about the people who help get you there um, you know who, who do you think you've got most to thank for, for being here in the grand final on uh, on Sunday? Um, definitely my family you know they made a lot of sacrifices and, and supported me from when I was younger to, to where I am now so um, it's going to be awesome to have them there with me uh, on Sunday and um, you know they'll be enjoying it as much as I will. They say it's a great week. Enjoy it. Thank you very much.
I got a white line fever. Going down, land down under. Going to turn around the corner, way down yonder. <laughs> but I'm not even going to try to rhyme anymore. <laughs> Michael Monroe here for White Line Fever. You get a chance, come and check us out live. We're going to rock your socks off and whatever, rock like fuck. That's what I say, okay? <laughs> come on down and rock on.